0: To a new section, which is the final section of Galatians chapter 5, and today, just for your consideration, verses 16 through 18. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul writes to us and said, Amen. Ancient African folklore tells the fable of the rhino, the elephant, and the rabbit. The rabbit was a sarcastic, smart, spiteful little creature, says this tale. And he drew the envy and the ire of the much larger, much stronger elephant. And the elephant got tired of the little man syndrome of the rabbit. And he said, you think you're so big and you're so strong, but don't you know that I could stamp you out if I stomped on you just one time or I sat on you or I laid on you. And the rabbit rabbit sarcastically rejoined, I'll bet you that I could beat you in a game of -of tug-of-war. And the elephant said, you're on. And the rabbit said, give me a week to go make the rope. And here's what we will do. You stand on the one side of the river and I'll stand on the other side of the river in the bush and we'll pick up the rope and whenever I say I'm ready, we'll both start tugging and the first one to be dragged down into the muddy river is the loser. And we'll see who's bigger and stronger and better. And the elephant, of course, agreed that will be an easy W for me. Off the rabbit went into the bush and he found the rhino. And he began to provoke the rhino with a little sarcastic little man syndrome and little biting and cutting comments about the the rhino's funny looking shaped nose and his fat body and his short stubby legs. And the rhino said, well, I tell you what, I could stomp you out or lay on you or hit you with my horn or sit on you and crush you. And the rabbit said, I bet you I'm stronger than you. I challenge you to tug of war. And the rhino said, of course. I'll drag you right into that muddy river. And the rabbit said, give me a week to go make the rope and prepare the battle. And so the day came and the the rabbit ever so carefully laid the rope on either side of the muddy river. And from across one side of the river, as the elephant had already arrived, the rabbit said, now when I tell you to, let's go. And the rabbit hastily sneaked across to the other side having already told the rhino that as soon as he arrived, start pulling, he'd be ready. And so on one end was the elephant thinking he was pulling against the clever little rabbit. On the other end, the rhino thinking he was pulling against the clever little rabbit. But actually on both ends, it was the elephant versus the rhino. And as they began to pull, both were shocked and surprised at the strength of the one they called, or thought was called the rabbit until finally the elephant back in the bush pulled the rhino back into the river and the rabbit ran out of the bush laughing at the rhino and went bouncing off saying, See, I told you, I was much stronger than you were. Doesn't it seem like in your Christian life you're constantly in a tug of war? Doesn't it seem like there's something inside of you that whenever you will to live a life that is really pleasing unto the Lord, man, there is this force that you didn't realize was as strong as what it was. And here it comes again, yanking you back down into the muddy waters of your old sinful habit and nature. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? This, this internal tug of war between wanting to live godly wanting to honor the Lord with your life and with your lips and with your habits and with your thoughts. I want to honor the Lord. And at the same time, man, there's still something every now and then that yanks at you and it's so strong and you're dragged back into carnality and you fly off the handle with your words and you think the most heinous evil thoughts and you do things you question yourself afterwards saying, how could a Christian actually do that? you ever feel that way or am I the only one? It's it's the tug of war, isn't it? And it's precisely what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. Between what he calls the the spirit and the flesh, a, a, a constant battle that's going on. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to pick up On the theme of this paragraph, it is living in or walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 16, walk by the Spirit. And the bookend, verse number 25, live by the Spirit. And verse number 17, the works of the flesh are against the Spirit. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit. Verse 19, works of the flesh. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Living in the spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, walking in the spirit is the theme, and it lines out it lines out the empowerment, the evidences and the encumbrances to overcoming carnality by the Holy Spirit, the empowerment, the evidences and the encumbrance to overcoming that is your fleshly, old nature and its habits by walking in the Spirit. Just the first of those is all we'll have time for today. The empowerment, the empowerment. Notice, notice the order or the command of verse number 16. But I say, says Paul. And you notice that he's transitioning from where he left off last time in verse number 15, but not totally moving on. There's a contrast to what he's just said in verse number 15. What's he just told us in verse number 15? If you bite and devour one another, be on guard or be alert that you're not consumed by one another. Uh, watch out, church, he says, that you're not cannibalizing yourself. Gossiping, slandering, Lying about, speaking evil about, with malicious intent about one another. What does that do? Those kinds of things destroy a church, don't they? They kill a church. If you bite and devour and speak evil and backbite and spread slander and rumor and lies and throw mud on one another, Paul says, watch out. You're like a snake eating its own tail. You're going to consume one another. But... How can I get rid of that pastor in my life? How can I overcome these carnal impulses that lead me to speaking so ill or thinking so awfully about one another? It's not unconnected to the end of the passage. Verse number 15 is picked up again in verse number 26. This is relational. Notice verse number 26. Let us not become conceited, self-centered, provoking one another, envying one another, wanting it all to be about me, 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 myself and I. Which leads to you provoking one another and being envious to one another. In verse 15, fighting and devouring one another. How do I get rid of that stuff so that I can, through love, serve one another? How can truly love my brother or sister? I say, says Paul, verse number 16, walk in the spirit. And then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. When those impulses rear up in your heart. When you get in your heart the desire to say something you know you ought not say. When you get that craving in your soul to do something, to look at something, to participate in something... To act on something that you know a Christian ought not do. And it's, and it's a tug of war that's starting and you start feeling that rope be pulled towards sin. And something that is displeasing to God and disobedient to the Lord. Paul says walk in the spirit. There's the power. Walk in the spirit. And when you do you can say no to your flesh. He uses a metaphor, doesn't he, in verse number 16, walk. And what this really implies is both a practice and a progress of lifestyle. Walk in the spirit means it is something that you objectively, actively participate in. A practice of lifestyle. I don't typically do this, but I think in this case it's necessary and helpful. Turn over one book the next book in your Bible, to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians comes right after Galatians. It's the same chapter we're in in Galatians. From Galatians 5, hold your place and look at Ephesians 5. Because it's a very similar parallel passage of Scripture. And I draw your attention to verse number 18, where Paul gives a contrast as... An inebriated person is dominated and controlled by being drunk on alcohol. So a spirit filled person is controlled by the feeling or fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the contrast, and it's a command, it's an imperative. Verse number 18 do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but here's the command be filled with the Spirit. That is not an option for you, Christian. It is an imperative. It is a command, but it is a command that is viable. Which means there may be times, if you're not careful in your life, where you are not filled, that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is interesting, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds of grammar here, but what is interesting is here you have a construction wherein there is a main verb of command... Followed by several participles. Those are verbs ending in ing which tell you how to follow the main verb of command. Main verb of command. Christian, be filled with the Spirit. How do I do that? The means by which is right in the verbs in the verses that follow. Verse number 19, addressing. Verse number 20, giving thanks. Verse number 21, ...submitting to one another. Do you see how... ...walking in the Spirit... ...and being filled in the Spirit... ...is not a mystical... ...overtaking of your senses... ...where you just lose control of your faculties... ...and start shaking or barking... ...or flopping or falling... ...but it is... ...actually implementing... The practices of Christian discipline. That is, he's saying you be filled with the Spirit, listen Christian, by doing something. By God's grace, number one, you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. You speak to one another, that is, in biblical ease. You fill your heart and mind with the truth of God and you relate to one another according to the truth of God. Or verse number 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God. That's a good way to yield yourself up to the control of the Holy Spirit. When you feel yourself want to complain, just stop and say, God, I want to thank you for all you've done for me. I want to thank you for all the blessings that you have given to me. That curtails Carnality rearing its ugly head. That helps you gain the upper hand in this spirit versus flesh tug of war. In verse number 21, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, prioritizing somebody else over yourself, being less selfish, self focused, and more others focused, seeking to serve one another. That is, if I had time, I would show you Colossians 3. Verse number 16, which is essentially a, a exact verbatim parallel passage, except there's one difference. The one difference of Colossians 3.16 is, instead of saying, be filled with the Spirit, it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And listen now, that is because the direct corollary between Your being filled with the Spirit and your being filled with the Word of God are completely and entirely incumbent upon one another. What I'm trying to say to you in proper English is if you ain't got the Word in you, then you're not going to have the Spirit filling you. You need the Word of God. You need the Word of God preached to your soul so that you can sing it and speak it and appropriate it and believe it. If you don't have the Word of God filling you, you will not, you will not have the Spirit of God filling you. They're directly corollary. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3, be filled with the Word. You need the Word because the Word is the sword, is it not, of the Spirit? It is the instrument the Holy Spirit of God living in you uses to slice away the calluses of unchristlikeness and to do heart surgery to carve away the things such that you and I are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Spirit is a practice of lifestyle, it's also a progress of lifestyle. Notice the, the condition consequence relationship. ...of verse number 16, the condition is walk by the Spirit. The consequence is you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Can I give you a King Jesse translation of that verse? You didn't ask for it, I'm going to give it to you anyway. The King Jesse translation is walk by the Spirit... And you will in this life start to become more and more of what you shall be in the next life. You're going to become more like Jesus. Heaven is going to be in you before you are in heaven. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh Is a consequence of walking in the Spirit. I say there is progress for us to make, is there not? There was a certain God I heard about who lived in the desert. And it would be easy to get lost in the desert, I suppose. But this guide never lost his way in the desert. He never got turned around. He never got lost before the days of GPS and Siri to give you direction. But what he did have with him was a homing pigeon, a homing pigeon that somehow God has instinctively built into its nature to know how to go back toward its home. And he carried this homing pigeon who knew exactly where his village was relative to wherever he was in the desert. And you know what he did? He tied a, a kite string to the leg of this homing pigeon. Uh, and, and anytime he got lost, anytime he, he started feeling disoriented or didn't know which way back toward home, which way back toward the village, you know what he'd do? He, he'd let that homing pigeon go. And it'd fly up in the air. And it would start to fly directly back toward home, and all he had to do was hold on to that rope, and it would point him in the direction of home where he needed to be going. This man was known as the dove man by those who knew him. And did you know that did you know that in the scriptures the holy spirit is pictured as descending like a dove? And in so many ways the holy spirit is to you and me in our christian pilgrimage toward home what that dove was toward that desert god. We are tethered to him and he is tethered to us. And do you know what the work of the Holy Spirit in your life does? He pulls you ever upward and ever onward toward glory and toward God and toward godliness. Within this order is a practice of lifestyle and a progress of lifestyle implied. But I must hurry. Secondly... There is something to be said about the opposition as well. There's the command or order in verse 16. And this has to be a command because it will encounter resistance. You probably already know. I think verse number 17 is one verse in the Bible that every Christian says, I know all about that experience. I know all about how that feels. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. What what comes from you naturally, in other words, what comes out of your heart naturally, the desires of your flesh are against the things of God. You know where that impulse in you comes from? To wake up on a Sunday morning, listen out, and not want to come to church? Where does that come from? Do you know that impulse in you that creates this? This craving for that which is wicked or filthy or idolatrous. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. That is things that are spiritual and God-honoring and God-pleasing. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to one another. There is this irreconcilable war. That's, that's why tug of war is such a beautiful analogy. And, and both, of these, both of these natures, these impulses are living like resident evil inside of you. They're both there. And you know there can, there can be union without unity like the old country preacher says... Just tie two cats' tails together and throw them over the clothesline. They're united, they're unified, but they are not enjoying unity. And so something like that is down in your heart if you're a child of God. There, there's like this, this desire to be pleasing to the Lord. But like Paul says in Romans chapter 7... Every time there is this desire to please the Lord, there's this also other desire yanking at me to keep me from doing what I want to do and to drive me as it were to do what I ought not to do. Look, Notice that phrase in verse number 17, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. That could be read either or. Sometimes, thank God, the Spirit of God will step in like a governor and say, Do not do that right before you make a tremendous mistake and mess of your life. Aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit keeps you and I back from fatal sinning from time to time? Spirit of God will do that. Sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes with the best of intentions you'll do something or commit some kind of sin and say, "Why? Why did I do that? I'll tell you why, because... Though our souls and hearts and natures have been regenerated, there are still remaining vestiges of fallen corruption from our old nature. It's like after after Normandy was stormed during World War II and the war was over. The the Germans were, uh, for all intents and purposes, they were defeated, the battle was won. The war was going to the allies, but there still had to be battles that had to be fought. And the same is true of you. If you are a Christian, Jesus Christ has won the victory. He has risen from the dead, and one day you shall be perfect and with him. But until then, there's still little battles that are going to take place. Spirit versus flesh. And, And Paul says... These desires are absolutely opposed to one another. That's why Martin Luther coined this Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, which means every Christian is simul justus et peccator. Every Christian is at the same time a saint and a sinner. Which one? Are you a saint or are you a sinner? The answer is yes, I am both. I am a saint of God, adopted child of God, and I still struggle with sin. Which leads me to remind you of two things. Number one, number one, guard your heart from discouragement, Christian. Guard your heart from discouragement. You might look at your life and say... There is so much about my life I want to change and so much more I want to do to be pleasing to the Lord and I wish I were better than what I am but do not grow weary in well-doing because until we are in glory, we will remain imperfect but God in His Holy Spirit is bringing about the completion of the work that He began. Guard your heart from discouragement. And secondly, listen now. Let's give each other a little more grace. Let's give each other a little more kindness and understanding and patience. Because who among us can say the Lord is not working on me anymore? Walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That is the order. Because there is an opposition, verse number 17, the spirit versus the flesh. Which leaves us with two options, doesn't it? In verse number 18. One or the other. Two options to consider. But if you are led by the Spirit, that's one way you might live. You are not under the law. That's another possibility of living. Either you can be led by the Spirit or you can be dominated by the flesh, which is a synonym for the phrase he uses in verse number 18, being under the law. That is being under the penalty ...of the law that you, when you live in the flesh, break every single day. That is the law of God. The law of God, which is a standard, listen, not the source of righteousness. It's a, The law of God is not a thermostat. It is a thermometer. It can tell you the degree of your spiritual temperature... ...but it cannot raise or lower your spiritual temperature temperature the real strength to live the christian life is not under the law but led by the spirit of god if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law that is you will not gratify what he said in verse number 16 the lust of the flesh charles spurgeon tells the story of how peter the great the former czar of russia had a daughter named elizabeth And after Peter died, there were warring factions in the country that were vying for the throne, political rivals, because Elizabeth abdicated. Elizabeth said she did not want to be on the throne anymore. She didn't want to be queen. And so civil chaos began to erupt all over Russia, upheaval everywhere. The the country was being torn apart by civil war. So one of the older wise men, one of the advisors, sat Elizabeth down. And his appeal to her was simple. It was very clear. He said, ma'am, I want you to picture in the not-so-distant future a throne. A throne and two possibilities. In that future, in the first scenario, you are on that throne, ma'am. The country is united. You and your family are safe. The common people are prospering. The military is strong. In the second scenario, the country is ripped apart by divided allegiances. You and all your family are locked up. You're in a dungeon. You're waiting to be executed and starving. Now, ma'am, those are your two options. Peace and flourishing and power. Or starvation and chaos and death and execution. I pray and hope you'll choose the first and go to that throne. Every one of us, every one of us, who are saved here today have two options in approaching how to live our lives. We can either live in the interest of self and disobedience to God's commandments resulting in a terrible captivity to sin. Or, listen now, you can go to the throne of grace for the power of the Holy Spirit, letting the Word of God dwell in you richly, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God and submitting to and serving one another out of love and reverence for one another and for the God who has saved us, walking in the Spirit rather than the flesh, going to the throne of God, saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. Amen? Amen. May God help us. To walk by the Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Write its truths on our hearts today, we plead. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and may, O oh Lord, that Spirit work in us that which is well pleasing in your sight. Give us ever increasing strength, O oh Lord, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, Lord, to grow strong in righteousness. Work in us, O Holy Spirit, that which is well-pleasing in the sight of the Father. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.